0: Please take your Bibles, turn along with me to the book of Lamentations. Lamentations chapter 3 this morning. We're in between series and so we're just each week taking a different portion of scripture or a different theme and opening that up and centering our hearts and thoughts on that for a bit. This morning we're in Lamentations chapter 3. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations. Find the big book Isaiah in the middle, then take a right, okay? For the last year and a half, we've all been dealing with some pretty tough stuff. We've been dealing with all the uncertainty and difficulty of a global pandemic, with all kinds of societal division that has resulted, and personal turmoil in each and every one of our lives, down to the granular level, it seems. Obviously, lots of illness going around, long-term health issues for some. Loss of loved ones for others. Still, others have lost their jobs because of the economic downturn, or more recently, because of vaccine mandates. We've all experienced, at some level, a loss of freedoms and opportunities. There still remains significant concern about the future, uncertainty in the economy, inflation, supply chain issues, and we could go on and on. It's safe to say that the last year and a half have been hard times for most of us. Hard times come to all of us in life. If you're going to live, you're going to experience some hard times. Hard times come to all of us. It's part of living in a fallen world that's broken by sin. It's part of, frankly, ourselves being broken people. Sometimes hard times come to us from outside forces, sometimes they come as a result of our own sinful and selfish responses. Hard times are a reality. And hard times bring with them sorrow and suffering and lament. We long for better days. And we sorrow over present, and past losses. Lament is something that blues music does very well. And I'm a fan. It puts into words, with musical feeling, the frustrations and hardships of living in a world that seems to always be at odds with us. John Lee Hooker. In his song Hard Times says this Hard times, hard times Seems like they're here to stay Hard times, hard times Oh they worry me I ain't got no shoes on my feet You know my clothes are wearing very thin If I don't get a job pretty soon I don't know what I'm going to do My little children cry for mercy They got no food on the table Hard times, hard times, oh boy, they're getting me down. Well, before John Lee Hooker, there was Jeremiah. And he knew something about hard times. But he also knew something about hope in the midst of hard times. And that's what we're going to look at today. So look with me at Lamentations chapter 3, beginning in verse 19. And I'll read through verse 26. Lamentations chapter 3, verses 19 through 26. Jeremiah writes, Remember my affliction and my wandering, the wormwood and bitterness. Surely my soul remembers and is bowed down within me. This I recall to mind. Therefore, I have hope. The Lord's loving kindnesses indeed never cease, for His compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul, therefore I have hope in Him. The Lord is good to those who wait for Him, to the person who seeks Him. It is good that He waits silently for the salvation of the Lord." This is the Word of God. Let's pray. Lord, hard times come in this world and come into our lives, and sometimes we struggle with how to respond and how to go on, how to believe and trust in the midst of loss and sorrow. So teach us, Lord, from your Word today, how to have hope in hard times. Teach us, Lord, to look to you. Teach us, Lord, to remind ourselves of your great faithfulness, your mercy and love. We're so grateful for those bedrock truths that are anchored in your character and attributes that are unchanging that we can build our lives upon. Help us to do that this morning through your word and by your spirit. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. As you probably know, the prophet Jeremiah wrote the book of Lamentations during difficult times. It's called Lamentations after all, right? Jerusalem, the capital city of Israel, which was at the time a divided kingdom. Israel to the north and Judah to the south. Jerusalem came under siege by the Babylonian king Nebuchadnezzar. And it was completely laid waste in 586 B.C. Including the temple that Solomon built. All of the the good stuff inside the temple, the expensive stuff was carried away by King Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians. The temple was raised to the ground. The whole city was raised after its siege. And the destruction of Jerusalem came as a result of God's judgment for Israel's persistent sin and came only after years of, of God's warning to the people through the prophets for them to repent. The book of Lamentations then is like Words of grief spoken over the holy city of Jerusalem, which now lies completely desolate. It's a book of lament, a book of sorrow and tears. Listen to how the book begins. Turn back with me to Lamentations chapter 1. Just going to give you a little quick survey here. Lamentations chapter 1, verse 1, how lonely sits the city that was full of people. She's become like a, a widow who was once great among the nations. She who was a princess among the provinces has become a forced laborer. She weeps bitterly in the night and her tears are on her cheeks. She has none to comfort her among all her lovers. All her friends have dealt treacherously with her. They've become her enemies. Judah has gone into exile under affliction and under harsh servitude. She dwells among the nations, but she has found no rest. All her pursuers have overtaken her in the midst of distress. The roads of Zion are in mourning because no one comes to the appointed feast. All her gates are desolate. Her priests are groaning. Her virgins are afflicted, and she herself is bitter. Hard times indeed. The city laid waste after an extended siege, which was brutal for the inhabitants who were behind the siege walls. The siege, having been successful, most of the inhabitants of Jerusalem were carried away into forced slavery. Hard times. You know, the book of Lamentations is actually titled in Hebrew by its first word, which is how, which summarizes well the bewilderment and sorrow of the book. This question, how, is repeated several times throughout Lamentations. We can relate to that question, how, can't we? During hard times. How can this be? How did we get here? How will we get through this? How long will this last? The situation inside the besieged walls of Jerusalem was truly unthinkable. Skip forward a little bit to Lamentations chapter 4 and verse 4. Jeremiah writes, the tongue of the infant cleaves to the roof of its mouth because of thirst. The little ones ask for bread, but no one breaks it for them. Children are starving. That's the nature of a siege, right? You starve out the population inside until they surrender or until they're all dead. Look at verse 9 of chapter 4. Jeremiah posits this, he says, Better are those slain with the sword than those slain with hunger. Better a quick death than a prolonged, cruel path of suffering. For they pine away, being stricken for lack of the fruits of the field. The hands of compassionate women boiled their own children. They became food for them because of the destruction of the daughter of my people. Do you sense the bleakness here? I don't think I have to explain it much further than that verse. The desperation. Talk about hard times. None of us have gone through that. Look at Lamentations chapter 5. Verse 10, our skin has become as hot as an oven because of the burning heat of famine. They ravished the women in Zion, the virgins in the cities of Judah. Princes were hung by their hands. Elders were not respected. Young men worked at the grinding mill and youths stumbled under loads of wood Elders are gone from the gate. Young men from their music. The joy of our hearts has ceased. Our dancing has been turned into mourning. Hard times. No music anymore. No one wants to sing. The elders are rejected and mistreated, disrespected. Young men forced into labor. In the middle of Lamentations, chapter 3, there's five chapters in Lamentations. And chapter 3, of course, the middle chapter. But that's where the hope comes in. But it only comes in after Jeremiah has really reached a low point, personally, Look at verse 15. Lamentations 3:15. He has filled me with bitterness. Who's he? The Lord. He's made me drunk with wormwood or a bitter drink. He's broken my teeth with gravel. He's made me cower in the dust. My soul has been rejected from peace. I have forgotten happiness. Ever been there? You're not alone. Verse 18, so I say, my strength has perished and so has my hope from the Lord. I'm at the end of my rope. I don't think I can take one more step. I don't want to see another day. This is hard. Brings us to verse 19. Remember my affliction and my wandering. The wormwood and the bitterness. Surely my soul remembers. Lord, you take note of this because I've taken note of it up close. My soul remembers and is bowed down within me. Christianity is not a happy, clappy religion that doesn't take into account the realities and hardships and sorrow of living in a broken world among broken people. Have you ever been in a similar place as Jeremiah emotionally, spiritually? Where you felt completely overwhelmed by your circumstances? Where you struggled to find reason for hope? Maybe some of you are there right now. And as you look ahead, you don't see much reason for hope. You're not going through maybe necessarily the things that Jeremiah was going through, but they hurt nonetheless. They sap your hope nonetheless. Now look with me at verse 21. This I recall to mind. Therefore, I have hope. Sandwiched between all the despair and the heartache and the realities of a harsh world, Is hope. Hope that comes from recalling truth. And calling oneself back to truth. This I recall to mind. Therefore I have hope. Literally it says. This I make to return to my heart. I'm going to make this. Get back in me. I'm going to recenter my thinking, my emotions, my feelings on what I know to be true. Jeremiah is not just remembering something here, it's not just to re- recall it like, where did I put my glasses or where are my keys? No, he, he realizes he needs to remember what he really believes. He needs to once again believe and reaffirm something. Recommit himself to something. And Jeremiah, as we'll see here, is calling himself back to faith in God and who God is. He's preaching to himself the truth of who God is here. Just as the psalmist did when he was experiencing his own hard times in Psalm 43, 5. Why are you in despair, O my soul? And why are you disturbed within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise Him, the help of my countenance and my God. We have to tell ourselves the truth, repeat it back again to ourselves, call ourselves, preach to ourselves, summon ourselves back to the true and living God in times of hopelessness and despair. So, what specifically does Jeremiah need to call to mind in order to have hope? Verse 22. The Lord's loving kindnesses indeed never cease, for his compassions never fail. What renews Jeremiah's hope is calling to mind, anchoring himself, tying himself to the mast of God's unchanging character and love and mercy and compassion. that the Lord's loving kindnesses never cease and that His compassions never fail. That God is unceasing in His love and unfailing in His mercy. Jeremiah here is likely recalling and reflecting upon God's own self-revelation to Moses on Mount Sinai. In Exodus 34, this wasn't the first time that God revealed Himself this way, God reveals himself to Moses. It says, The Lord passed by in front of Moses and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, compassionate, compassionate, and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in loving kindness and truth, who keeps loving kindness for thousands, who forgives iniquity, transgression, and sin. That is the Lord's calling card. That is his CV. That's his resume. This is who I am, and this is what I do. I'm a a compassionate, gracious, slow to anger God. I abound in loving kindness and truth. I keep loving kindness for thousands, and I forgive iniquity, transgression, and sin. What Jeremiah needed to recall to mind was the Lord Himself. His character, who He is, and how God has revealed Himself to us in Scripture and how He's promised His love for us and His mercy toward us. The word loving kindness, it's that all-important Hebrew term, chesed. If you're trying to write that in English, it's H-E-S-E-D, that Hebrew word. And it refers to God's covenant love, His steadfast love, His promise of love, His loyal love. His love that is promised to us and that never changes, never ceases, and can never be taken away. In Psalm 136, the refrain is repeated 26 times that God's loving kindness never ends. His hesed is everlasting. 26 times. If I didn't know better, I'd say the Lord was trying to remind us of something there. That the Lord's loving kindness is everlasting and so Jeremiah in the midst of his suffering remembers that God's love and kindness never ceases. Never, never, never. God's love for us is unending, it is uninterruptible, it is undying, it is unstoppable, it is unquenchable. His love and kindness for us never ceases. Furthermore, Jeremiah remembers God's compassion, that is his mercy. God's covenant love for us, his promise of love over us, his hesed, stems from his compassion and mercy. God's mercy is exercised toward us when we get not what we deserve, but instead God shows compassion and grace toward us and forgives us, cleanses us, cares for us, sustains us, protects us, and restores us. And it says here that God's compassions never fail. Unfailing compassions. God's covenant, loyal love, and His tender compassion are new every morning. Verse 23, they are new every morning, like a daily, fresh delivery of sweet, delicious, life-giving food. Daily, like manna in a barren wilderness. Without it, we would die. But it's there every morning, waiting for us to pick it and consume it. And enjoy it and be nourished by it. God's loyal love and tender mercies are delivered right to our door daily. Hello, fresh. The supply of God's loyal love and compassionate mercy toward us never ceases and never fails, it never expires, it's never late. It never runs out. Aren't you glad there are no supply chain issues with God's loving kindnesses and His compassions toward us? And then Jeremiah is moved to exclaim, Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is faithful. He is completely dependable and reliable. He is worthy of our trust and our dependence. He is faithful. Faithful to His promises. Faithful to His word. Faithful in His love and His compassion. Faithful to His children. Psalm 100 and verse 5 says, The Lord is good. His loving kindness is everlasting and is faithfulness to all generations. This is what we need to call to mind, that we might have hope. It takes effort on our part. When life seems to be coming apart at the seams and everything seems to be upside down or inside out and our hearts are breaking... It can seem to be the last thing we want to do, but it's the very thing we must do to recall truth to mind, the truth we already know, but call ourselves to believe it, to stand on it, to submit to it. that the Lord's love never ceases and that his mercies never fail and that his faithfulness toward us is great. I love what Tim Keller says. He says, we may hear our hearts say, it's hopeless, but we should argue back. That's good. Argue with yourself. Toward the truth. Don't just roll over and give up with the worst that's in you, with the darkest thoughts that occupy your mind. Fight back with God's truth. Now, let's be clear the Bible is not advocating that we live in denial about difficulty that we as Christians just you know, pretend and try to keep a stiff upper lip and say Oakley doakly things will get better. That's a caricature of Christianity. The Bible never calls us to try to ignore or minimize life's struggles and pain. Far from it. In fact, the book of Lamentations itself refutes such a simplistic, unrealistic approach. For Jeremiah has spent the the bulk of this book recounting the reality of pain and anguish he and others were experiencing. In fact, he catalogs it. And he expresses it in extensive detail, as we've surveyed, even going so far as to create poetry out of his suffering. It's a poetic book, right? These are poems. In fact, the first two chapters are an acrostic of the first letters of the Hebrew alphabet. And he details it one by one. You know, A is for apple, A is for awful. No, the Bible doesn't tell us to grin and bear it, or to stuff hard stuff deep down inside, or to pretend that it never happened, or anything like that. But rather, the Bible calls us to be realistic about our sufferings. And yet, to temper that reality with the reality of God's faithfulness, mercy, and love. God's mercy and love that are actively working even in our greatest tragedies and heartaches of life. Even in those moments, God's mercy and love haven't ceased and will not fail. That is what we must call to mind in order to have hope. I love what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4, sharing with us both the reality of dealing, of staring suffering square in the face, not minimizing it one bit, and yet holding on to hope. Second Corinthians four eight, Paul says, "We are afflicted in every way. You name it, I I've come down with it. You name it, I've got it. You want to talk about a hard road? I've walked it. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed." Perplexed but not despairing, persecuted but not forsaken, struck down but not destroyed. I love what the Anglican Puritan of the sixteenth century Richard Sibbs says. Simple. Times are bad, God is good. We gotta we gotta hold on to both of those. Because they're both true. Times are bad. God is good. So, how does God's love and mercy show itself in the midst of our pain and suffering? Well, in hundreds of ways, most of which we take completely for granted. Did you awake from sleep last night? You're here. You did. Is your heart still beating? Are your lungs still taking in oxygen? Have you eaten food recently? And maybe, even, maybe, enjoyed it? Aside from these mundane, daily, Realities of God's mercy and love. There is the redemptive love and mercy He's shown us supremely in setting His love upon us in eternity past. In revealing Himself to us by drawing us to Himself, in giving us the Scriptures as our guide and light and encouragement, in giving us many great and precious promises. And sending his spirit inside to comfort us and groan with us, and providing for our eternal forgiveness and making an eternal home for us in heaven, and promising to come back for us and deliver us out of this sin cursed world and wipe away every tear from our eyes. And give us gladness and joy at his right hand forevermore. None of us knows what the future holds. But this we recall to mind. That the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. And his mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is his faithfulness. And nowhere. Nowhere is God's faithfulness, mercy, and love for us seen more clearly than at the cross of Jesus. Nowhere is God's loyal love proven more certainly than at Calvary. At the cross, justice and mercy kissed each other. God's justice and God's mercy came together in His Son Jesus as He went to the cross and died in your place and mine for our sins and our guilt. Accomplishing our redemption through His own suffering. Through His own unthinkable sorrow and anguish. Those of you who have yet to trust in Jesus, there's no hope for you in this world. There's no hope for you Outside of Jesus Christ. Outside of God's love and mercy and care. Which he is extending to you today. Through his word preached. Through his son glorified. Through the gospel presented to you. That if you will believe on the Lord Jesus Christ You will be saved. Your sins will be forgiven. The guilt of your sins will be washed away. And you will be given the gift of eternal life. And hope both for this world and for the world to come. Believer, you have every reason to look on each new day with renewed hope. Hope that rests not in your circumstances, but in the Lord who sovereignly controls every event and causes all things to work for our good. As John Newton, the hymn writer, says, The storms of life are guided by the hands which were nailed to the cross. Never forget it. His loving kindness never ceases, his compassions never fail. Great is his faithfulness. Again, Richard Sibbs reminds us of the Lord's great mercy. There is more mercy in Christ than there is sin in us. As great as our sin is, his faithfulness is greater. Let's pray. Our Lord Jesus Christ, we thank you for your great faithfulness, your love and mercy, which never fail and never cease. They're new every morning. They grow on trees overnight. Ready for us to rise in the morning and pluck them for our nourishment and enjoyment and help. Lord, when we get to the point that our soul is bowed down within us, when we feel as though we have no hope, and our strength is perished. May this we recall to mind. That the Lord's loving kindness is indeed never cease. That his compassions never fail. That they are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness, O Lord. May you be our portion may you satisfy our souls in the midst of the suffering and comfort us with the truth of who you are and what you're doing. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.